Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Tony Morrell, who's the CEO and director of American Eagle Gold, a junior miner focusing on exploring for world-class gold and copper deposits in North America. Um, and they have a flagship asset called NAC, copper gold property located in British Columbia. Um, Tony's a chartered financial analyst um, and has worked in a variety of positions for Iron Gold, um, and more recently in a business development and innovation uh, capacity. Um, but apart from his role with American Eagle Gold, he also leads the Young Mining Professionals uh, Toronto chapter, and also is the co-chair of the YMP Scholarship Fund. And obviously we're going to those uh, a little bit later in the podcast. Um, and today's going to talk about uh, the company, um, and also about some of the latest news and topics that is happening in the mining industry. So that's welcome, Tony, to the podcast. How you doing, Tony? Rob, I'm good. Now that I'm talking to you, thanks a lot for having me on. No, and I appreciate your time. I know you're an avid listener, so um, you know how, how this goes. Uh, I wonder if you can just tell the audience a little bit about, about yourself. Yeah, um, I live in Toronto. We run a small junior mining company. Uh, it's called American Eagle Gold. We traded AE on the TSX Venture. Uh, we got a great asset. It's in British Columbia. Um, we were pretty much dead before we started drilling this project last year, and we were literally on, uh, you know, in a coma, I like to say. And then we all of a sudden we got like a Pulp Fiction shot of adrenaline and came back to life. Our stock went up 10x overnight, and everyone kind of already. Everyone kind of found out about us. Um, our drill program was extremely, uh, you know, it was very good. Um, but, you know, like all juniors, we, we have our ups and downs and we had some financing issues, et cetera. But, you know, we're about to start drilling and again. And we got a lot of blue sky ahead and a really great property with a really great team. And, uh, you know, besides American Eagle Gold, uh, the one thing I'm proud of is, you know, avid community member in the in the youth mining scene in Toronto and we started a scholarship fund five years ago that we grew you know over over 20x since then so I uh, just love this industry you get to see the world you get to help the world and uh, hopefully make some money along the way yeah certainly so I just want to give us a quick snapshot of uh, American Eagle Gold yeah we got copper gold porphyry in near Smithers Ontario uh, Smithers is an interior BC um, you know, the great thing about where we are, it's called a Babine Porphyry District. Um, you know, everyone when they think of BC, they, they think of the Golden Triangle. And the Golden Triangle is great. Um, but, you know, the Babine region, they're, they're mining there long before uh, the Golden Triangle. Noranda mined, which, you know, eventually became Glencore. They mined there starting in the 60s until the early 90s at two mines called Bell and Grand Isle. Surface deposits, uh, you know, really good mines. Um, but, you know, since then, there really hasn't been a lot of exploration and a lot of mining at all. And since then, you know, the Golden Triangle has been kind of the hot topic in the region. But, you know, sitting there was was the Babine region where we are. And, yes, the Golden Triangle has some great deposits, really great deposits. 
But the thing about the bad being, you know, you want to be in a, a great jurisdiction with a, a friendly local government, which we are in Canada and with a lot Lake Babby nation, we have, we have really good community support, but Rob also what you need is you want really great infrastructure. Um, you know, it's one thing I talked about being a good jurisdiction, but you also want to have your CapEx to be as small as possible. Uh, so the cost is low. Also the time to get to production is also the smallest. And that comes with great infrastructure, which, you know, gold triangle is great, but you got to fly in there, helicopter. They got a lot of First Nations issues. Where we are in the Babine region, you can drive a semi right up to our property. Uh, It's only a thousand meters above water. It's great temperature. You can drill there all through the year. We're 50 kilometers away from a great campsite. We call it Howard Johnson or Holiday Inn. That's how great it is. People want to work where we are. Uh, but the you know the problem is nobody had really done any work in the Babine region, so it's kind of like forgotten, like an old teddy bear uh, in someone's closet. Um, and I think we brought a lot of the attention back into the region. And why no one drilled in this region? It's it's really funny. It's just because the infrastructure wasn't there. So uh, because of the logging economy, uh, logging built the infrastructure. So now you can drill onto a camp. So before when. The last people explored, you know, in the mid 90s, you had to fly helicopters in, which means it was very expensive. The other thing is copper was at 60 cents a pound in the mid 90s uh, during the last time the big drilling campaign happened at NAC. Um, and gold was at $400 an ounce. So if you want to make a mine work, it better have been close to surface and it better have been high grade. So there was a lot of drilling here historically, but they didn't really find that high grade surface deposit, but they drilled over over a wide region. The other thing, Rob, that's really funny is a lot of companies are just lazy and they there's a lot of work done on these properties. But because the work went down back to the 60s, a lot of it was monologue, which means it was on paper. So when companies came in there, they did their own little data sets, geophysics, geochem, drilling. But they didn't really analyze all the previous data, uh, which really helps a lot. Because if you have one data set that shows there's a target, you might drill there. If there's two, you'll probably drill there. If there's five, you'll drill there for sure. Uh, but there are five data sets that we had access to, but no one had digitized all of it. So the the group that we bought the project off, they did the easy work, but it's actually the hard work where they spent a year and just digitized everything. They scanned it, they put it on the computer, they looked at everything. And when they're doing this, they didn't even know if they'd find anything. So it's one thing doing all that work, knowing you'll find, you know, kind of a, a pot at the end of the rainbow, but they didn't know what they're going to find. It could have been a big waste of time. But what they saw was every single data set showed a really great target geophysical anomaly and the person that found our deposit i've said the story many times but this guy was a great man his name was gary artmont he was my uncle i loved him very much always looked up to him he's a reason why i got in the mining industry when i was four years old he was working for grassberg he brought back uh, a wife from indonesia we saw him once or twice a year he was like a legend to us and always heard about stories of him traveling all over the world he was part of the discovery team for Grassburg. So he did the original mapping at Grassburg, which is one of the most economical mines in the world up there at El Teniente, Escondida, uh, et cetera. And he told me, he said, listen, you can have great targets. It doesn't guarantee you anything, but you know that's really the only thing you can start from in terms of exploration. And it's all about making that you know, that haystack as small as possible. Because everyone says, you know, finding a big discovery is like finding a needle in the haystack. You got to make that haystack as small as possible to make the probability as high as possible for investors. Because for investors to get in this game, look, you know, the odds are stacked against you. The odds are the stock will probably go back down to the pennies. But if you get in the right one, you can have a 10, 20, 100 X rub, which makes up for all these other losers. And we think we really do have a winner here. 
So that's how we came across the property. We're really excited about it. A lot of things have changed since then. Obviously, gold and copper are a lot higher. Also, because of the prices of these metals, the way that people explore for these metals are a lot different. So if you look at Escobar, that's in South America, owned by Soul Gold. You look at Red Chris. You even look at the local saddle discovery for uh, GT Gold. Those big porphyry discoveries, they were found because copper was at $4 a pound, $3.50 a pound. So it made sense to explore deep. And the top of those porphyries really started at 600 meters. And if you look at the 20,000 meters of drilling at our property, the deepest drill hole, I think, went to 400 meters in vertical depth. The average drill hole went to 175 meters. So people really were just scratching the tip of the iceberg and 200 meters above really the high point of where we think this porphyry is. So our plan was... Listen, we want to be the Brett Farr of mining companies. Go for it. And we did seven deep drill holes. Our very first drill hole, we hit high grade right off the top, high grade copper and gold. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, it'd be a good drill result for any copper or gold company. Uh, but what was really interesting is we hit stuff really deep and we hit high grade and we hit stuff called bornite and calcasite. And that made us realize that there really is a beast underneath somehow, but we got to re we got to rely on some more geophysics and our geology team to help us vector into where to drill because there's a lot of smoke on our property. There's a lot of disseminated mineralization, but there's a fire underneath and we got to drill in that fire. And the analogy I always say, I drink a cappuccino every day. So you have a sip of that cappuccino, you hit the froth. But what you really want is that espresso underneath. And the froth kind of tastes a little bit like coffee. And that's kind of the analogy with these porphyries. At the surface, there's a lot of disseminated ore. There's a lot of times it's low grade. Uh, but there's some espresso underneath. And one thing I do know, I'm not a geologist, it doesn't rain copper. When you got that much ore, there's got to be a high-grade source, a heartbeat coming somewhere. So, you know, we kind of identified there is a heartbeat somewhere. We just hit some of the veins. But we're looking for the heart this year. And we think we can have a good chance of hitting it. And once that happens, that's why I'm in the industry. It's called a billion-dollar drill hole for a reason. And we're out there to find it. And we want investors to invest with us. And obviously, uh, your, your NAC property. Um, how did you find it? And why should investors be excited about it? Well, like I said, my uncle showed it to us uh luckily because we failed in nevada or he knew we were going to fail and you know he just said look a great it's a great target second best target i've ever seen outside of grassburg uh and you know we took it on i saw a lot of things that investors see right now they saw you know a lot of historical grade and and a lot of historical you know average grade and drilling so if seven different companies have been there before, you know, there's a good chance it's not going to happen. But if you look at any of the in the major mines that have been discovered recently, those have all been discovered, all been explored for years with many different companies. So that doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to find something. In fact, it actually gives you a better chance to find things because you got a lot of data to work on and a lot of data that you don't have to spend money on with geophysics and geochem. So, you know, why would investors invest in us? Look, we already had a really successful drill program. Uh, we're drilling in a really, you know, crappy market last year. I believe our stock should be a lot higher. Uh, we have a really great team. Look, you want to, you know, big, big ore bodies hang out with big ore bodies, but you also want the geologist that has a track record of success of finding those ore bodies. And our, you know, our main geologist, his name is Neil Prowse. He's the protege of Charlie Gregg, who's our technical advisor. And Charlie Gregg and Neil Prowse both worked on GT Gold. Charlie was one of the founders of GT Gold. And GT Gold was the $400 million saddle deposit they sold to Newmont. That's just in the Golden Triangle, northwest of us. And he was in charge of that program and he found it. So again, we got the guy that knows how to find the deposit in a really great jurisdiction with great infrastructure. Also, Rob, we got no financing ahead of us. So if I'm investing in a junior company, what I always look at, what's in the treasury? 
are they going to raise more money, trick us, and all of a sudden the stock goes down because they have to do a discount? Well, heck no. Like we we have almost five million dollars in our bank. We're fully funded for this year, even for next year for drilling. So we really just have blue sky. We have a lot of catalysts ahead. We got drilling coming up starting in a couple of weeks. That means we have assays coming out for the next six months. Um, you know, the problem with this industry, again, I've said it many times, but there's a lot of different companies out there. Last time I checked, there's 966 junior mining companies on the TSX Venture. That doesn't count in Australia, Europe, et cetera. And there's, you know, around 966 CEOs and every other CEO, you know, God bless them. They all think that they have the best asset. And, you know, if you're a junior mining investor, how are you going to get through all this white noise? How do you know that, you know, company A is better than company B? And geology, I've been doing this for 12 years. Geology still, you know, I still don't quite understand it. And it's like rocket science to a lot of people. So what people do is they rely on experts. They rely on letter writers, analysts to tell them where to invest. And a lot of these letter writers and analysts, they have ulterior motives. You know, maybe they're front running a stock. So they'll they'll buy the stock and then they'll give a recommendation to buy it. So the stock will go up on their investment. You know, other ones, a lot of them, you know, you got to do sponsorships. You got to pay people to talk about you. Um, the very best marker, the very best way to get credibility for your company, do you know what it is? It's having What's a big that? company big company invest in you. So a letter writer might spend three weeks talking to you guys. If you give them money, you might not spend any time. We had an investment from tech and they didn't invest in us. No, maybe the bit of them, they invested in us because they believe we would spend their money and explore, but they loved our property. They went to, they went to the site. We've been talking to tech for six months. They've been, they've seen all the core. They met our team, they met the community, et cetera. And they decided to put $3 million in us because of our property. And all of a sudden, if I'm an investor now scanning through all these different properties, I'd be like, well, tech, that is a company that really knows exploration. They really know mining. And if they like NAC, there must be something there. And I'll look at the valuation of, of our company. It's just over $10 million. So there's a lot of upside there. Uh, you know, look at tech. They, they, they're part of the discovery of, of Hemlo. They're an early investor in Diamond Fields that became Voise's Bay. That's Robert Friedland's baby. New Afton has been through many different owners. New Gold's most recent owner shared with the Toronto Teachers Plan. They're original, you know, they're part of that old New Afton region discovery. So they have a big track record of results. So what I would say is, look, tech's willing to take a shot on, on that. You know, I would be too. So that's what it'd be showing investors. And, you know, not a lot of downside, a lot of upside, a lot of news ahead. So just... Brace yourself, put on your seatbelts and get ready for the ride. Yeah. Obviously, you, you, you've got a big vision for the company. So how do you take a junior mining company to a multi-million dollar uh, mining company? You say multi-million or multi-billion? Multi-billion. Multi-billion. Wow. Um, I think, first of all, you take it, take it one step at a time. It's, it's always good to have a plan you know, in place of how to get there, but... You know, you also want to set your sights on on this year. So I think it's just putting in the right work, having a really successful drill drill program, and for us to get to that next level, um, it's just identifying more of the high grade material. It's also identifying more of the scale and size of the deposit. Um, you know, one of the challenges I've had is just having investors know about our company. And you know, when you saw our second drill result came out, it was better than our first hole. So if you look at our first hole. What investors always cared about was 135 meters of, of 1.05% copper equivalent. Um, but if you look at it from the first 300 meters, which is what makes the mine, that's 300 meters of 0.56% copper equivalent. Our second hole was 300 meters of 0.61. But because we just 
put out our whole hole, people just look at the title of the news release. They see 0.37 and they think it's low grade and they sell. And, and investors don't even look at anything below your title. Um, but what big companies look for, they love grade, you know, like investors do. But the most important thing to them is that 900 meters of 0.37 copper equivalent they have. They like scale and they like Bornite because it's easier to process. And if you look at our plan this year, we had to drill along a fence this year. We hit on every single hole, all seven holes. We drill along a fence. We couldn't even step out because of our permits. And this year we have a five-year permit. We can drill all over the property and we're doing some step outs. But what we're doing is we're actually stepping out almost a kilometer southeast underneath the south intrusive zone. And if we hit that, it is off to the races because it'll show we have like world-class jurisdiction size scale here. Um, so, you know, this year we hit something big. I expect our market cap to increase. I don't never like to give a dollar amount or market cap amount, but the dream is to get to a billion dollars and sell us to another company these days. And if you're an investor looking at any company, you're like, I want to, I want to see a roadmap for how I can get there. And, you know, I talked about tech in terms of them being the ones that show that they like the property, but you know, it already shows that they put a foothold in their company. So it'd be like a company like tech that we'd eventually, hopefully sell to someday and look i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie to investors and say we're gonna build this mine someday um it's almost impossible to build a great mine uh on time and on budget i worked at a mining company for 10 years their job was to build mines and it was very difficult for them to do um, so i'm not gonna lie and say we're gonna build this mine we want to advance this project as much as possible increase shareholder value as much as possible and create a liquidity event so shareholders can get out of their shares and make money and invest in another company um, and look, you know, for us too, why we partner with tech, you know, if we're going to hand the baton off to someone, we want to make sure it was someone that had a great culture, great experience with the community. And if we're going to hand that baton off someday, if we do, you know, tech would be a great partner to take it on and, and hold the baton and bring it to the finish line. Um, but you know, the plan is to be many, many X times bigger than where we are right now and hopefully create a liquidity event. Um, but look, someday if we develop this, I would be surprised. So I don't think the plans to ever build a mine. Hmm. Uh, you went public and started, obviously, the, the company based on your Nevada asset. Um, but then you got rid of it within about a year. Just wonder what that process, how you went through that process and obviously the 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 actual reason and decision to get rid of that asset. Yeah, it was a whirlwind. So we uh, we had a project in Nevada. It was, uh, I just, I mentioned earlier, you need, you need big, big ore bodies, hang with big ore bodies. And we're next to one of the biggest ore bodies in the world. We had this project. It was right attached to the Cortez facility, which is Newmont Barracks JV, uh, right next door to Gold Rush, which is Barracks' newest mine that's coming online. Uh, and we had the geologists actually help make the discovery for, for, for Gold Rush. So we're really excited. And that's why we started in Nevada. That's why people invested in us originally. Um, but what happened there was was a complete disaster. Um, one of the biggest misnomers or misunderstandings about this industry, I just saw the Nielsen rankings, not Nielsen, the um, whatever those rankings are for um, the best mining jurisdiction. And right. they said Nevada. Fraser Institute. Fraser Institute, that's it. Nielsen's for the TV. Yeah, Fraser Institute said Nevada's number one. And I, and I found that kind of comical. Nevada's a great place to be if you're mining. If you're Barrick or Newmont, it's great because they let you do your thing etc. But if you got to be an exploration company, it is as tough as possible. I would like personally for me, uh, it's I would never go back to Nevada to explore. Um, if you want to find a deposit, 
in reality, it's about putting as many drill holes in the ground as possible because the chances are most of those drill holes are going to be dusters and you want to hit that drill hole to identify where the mineralization is so you get more drill holes around it. Um, but the only way you put a lot of drill holes in there is get the cost to drill as cheap as possible. And a drill in Nevada for us, it was close to $1,000 US dollars per meter. And, you know, I we might as well have been on the moon or in Congo or Russia or China for, for that cost. So, um, and why it's so expensive there, it's many different reasons. One of them is in Nevada, unlike a lot of other jurisdictions, they charge by the hour. So in BC, we're doing our drill contract. You know, we have a contract and they, they charge us per meter. You know, there's a certain price for overburden. There's a certain price per meter when you get to down to a certain spot. But you can figure out pretty much within 5% what your budget's going to be. In, in Nevada and a lot of the states, they charge per hour. So if you hit bad ground, you have a bad site team, like you can just blow up your budget all of a sudden. And it's one of the costs of being in Nevada. Also, where we are uh, in the Cortez region, the Carlin region, it's extremely tough ground to keep open, tough ground, ground to drill. And your cost is reflective of how fast you put those drills into the ground. Um, and it's very slow drilling where we are in Nevada. It's through about a thousand meters of overburden. And the other thing that's really tough is you got Newmont and Barrick right next door. So again, you want to be close to big ore bodies, but again, um, Barrick kept on. So they split everything. I think it was about two thirds Barrick, one third Newmont or 62, 38 uh, for that whole JV of the Carlin region. But Barrick's extremely smart. And I can talk about Mark Bristol later, but they carved out that gold rush property of theirs. And they have a property called four mile and four mile just drilled, I believe about 40 meters of about an ounce per ton. And I guess what I'm getting at here is the cost of capital to drill as a junior company is so high. It almost doesn't even make sense. It almost makes more sense to acquire. And all of a sudden now we're competing against, you know, major drill against Newmont and Barrick who hired all the drillers nearby and they don't care what they, uh, what they pay per hour. They'll pay $2,000 per meter in the ground. If they know they're going to get, you know, 40 meters of an ounce per ton. So you're, you're competing against, you know, Barrick and Newmont. They've cornered, all of the drillers. And all of a sudden, if you get a driller, you're paying Barrick and Newmont's price. And all of a sudden you actually have like the fourth best team on there. So that's what we kind of happened when we started drilling there. And what you got to realize with Barrick and Newmont, the, the thing about mid tiers and major mining companies, it's all about reserve replacement. So when you produce gold, you got to replace that gold or replace more of it. Uh, you know, they produce about three and a half million ounces of gold in about the size of a, an area of the size of Delaware. So they got to replace that. So they're drilling, drilling, drilling. I think the last time I checked when we were there, they had about 25 drillers that they had under control. So we couldn't access any, any of them. Anyways, to make a long story short, we failed. We hit a duster. We had to TD our hole halfway in. And my chairman said, look, Tony, this is tough to swallow. But sometimes the best investments you make are the stocks you sell at a 50% down as opposed to selling 100% down. And there's two main rules about junior mining. You got to look after your cap structure. And if you're going to fail, fail fast. So I think within 10 months, Rob, we just left Nevada. We weren't going to even pay another $100,000, $200,000 to keep that property in good standing, to pay for the geologists, to pay for any geophysics. We just didn't like the economics of it. We didn't like the cost of capital and we're going to leave. Luckily, my uncle introduced this property in BC to us. So we had something to fall back on. And we had a little bit of more money in the coffers. We drilled on it. We hit a really great discovery. We raised a little bit more money off that. And we we're able to continue and change our story altogether. So that's kind of how we went from Nevada to BC and kind of a bit of a lesson on Nevada in general. Again, it's a great mining jurisdiction. I wouldn't say it's a great exploration jurisdiction. Um, 
What's some of the biggest or what is the biggest challenge uh, you face as a CEO of a junior minor? Biggest challenge for me is just to keep yourself in the news and have people know who you are. So, you know, this isn't like a Coke versus Pepsi. Like, you know, two brands there. I'm competing against a thousand other brands. And, um, you know, it's just about being in the investor's mindset, knowing that they can invest in you. So, you know, it's about distribution for us. It's about people knowing AE is our ticker. American Eagle Gold uh, is our name, which is a real challenge. The one thing about investors, I mentioned earlier, geology is almost like rocket science. But, you know, I even fall into this rule. Like, I was looking for a camera the other day, Rob. Do you know how much time I spent before I went to Best Buy to invest in this camera? Probably six hours. Probably six hours. Uh, I put $5,000 in another junior company. Do you know how much time I spent researching this company? About half an hour. About half an hour. So, you know, people don't have a lot of time. They don't understand mining. And there's a lot of mining companies out there. So the biggest challenge is having investors know that they can even invest in you. And honestly, that's, you know, I mentioned tech. Like, honestly, they gave us a big stamp of approval uh, of our property. But the big thing about tech, why I was really excited about it um, was, Tech is well known throughout the world. So all of a sudden now, because of all the stuff going on with Glencore and tech and them being in the news, you know, people in Japan, people in China, people in Europe can all of a sudden hear about us because people every day, these funds, they're Googling tech. Is there something new happening on Glencore? Is there something new happening on? And all of a sudden one day, they some person in Japan will Google our name and up pops American Eagle Gold. And all of a sudden that investor knows about American Eagle Gold. It's just about having as many people as possible know about you. Because if you start with a really big circle of investors, say it's $5 million, you do want to let down less and less and less and less. And then all of a sudden, you have a really small bubble of people that can actually invest. So you want to get that small bubble with as many people as possible. So my job every day is figuring out how we can get as much distribution as possible. How can we get as many eyeballs on us as possible? So when we do have good news, people will press the buy button. Um, obviously, you mentioned there's a lot of mining or a lot of mining juniors out there. And there's a lot of underperforming mining companies what would you say is their main pitfall that they actually make my old ceo steve latwin uh really smart guy one of my role models um you just said always protect your balance sheet you see a lot of companies not protecting their your about their balance sheet um you're not getting the return you can right now um for what it costs to drill so we're kind of entering a time right now it almost makes more sense to acquire other companies as opposed to drill in terms of your cost of of capital. Uh, the reason why we're drilling, you know, you might think it's a little bit hypocritical, but our stock was at 10 and a half cents, Rob. If we did a raise in the in the general market for $3 million, um, we would have had to raise probably three times as many shares. And our share price we would have had to raise at was eight cents. And we probably had to have warrants out there at 12 cents. We would have created a lot of overhang, et cetera. We would have never raised a drill um, if it was, you know, your normal run of the mill financing. Now, what was really interesting was we did a deal with tech. So they gave us a premium on our shares. Plus we did charity flow through premium. So all of a sudden we raised at 20 and a half cents versus the eight cents we would have done regularly. So now if I talk about cost of capital for every dollar that we would have spent before we get an extra two free dollars. So now it makes sense for us to drill. It was a really great deal for us and our shareholders. You know, and one thing I always look at, you know, if I'm an investor, you don't have a lot of time. Look, I tell my dad this all the time. He's a big junior mining investor. One of the reasons why I got in the industry, but you better know who the CEO is. If you don't know the CEO's name, I would never invest in a company. Know where the projects are. It, it, I think it's really weird when investors just invest in something because someone told them to. 
Uh, yeah, they'll spend six hours researching camera. They don't know who the who the CEO is, uh, or where the project is. And you know, another thing I look at: what, what's your GNA spend? Um, it really throws me off when companies pay themselves a lot of money on the GNA and for salary. Um, I was working at a big company before, Rob. I can make two to three times as much in terms of salary working for a major mining company. But this industry is fun. I love it. And there's a lot of upside. So where I get paid is I'm aligned with shareholders. If we sell the company someday, I make a lot of money. And so do my shareholders. But day to day, you know, I'm just getting by in terms of the salary. But it really throws me off when people want to, you know, eat their cake and have it too. And uh, they're getting paid really big salaries. So I'd look, what does the CEO make? What does the chairman make of some of these junior companies? And to kind of compound that, which, you know, I would never invest in a company where they pay, especially if you're a junior Canadian company, if you pay the the CEO or the chairman or anyone on that company in US dollars, I, I feel like that's a way to kind of hoodwink investors to show what you pay, but they actually get a 40% free premium bump. If you're based in Toronto, why are you getting paid in US dollars? And I said before, Rob, I'm not going to throw any companies under the bus. If you want to go through the management information circle, you can see who pays himself in US dollars. I think it's complete BS. Uh, so that's one thing to kind of look out for, because really, I think any person that works for a company should be really aligned with the shareholders. And that's even more important with junior mining companies, where there's a lot more opportunity for the stock to go up or down. Um, obviously, you meet a lot of people when you're networking in this industry and obviously your involvement in the young mining professionals. Um, do you have any good stories that you can uh, share with us around any oh. mining executives on on a, on a I know that you have. So, uh, yeah, be good to hear. I have some really, I have some really good stories, actually. Uh, this industry is amazing. Um, you get to travel the world. You get to help the world. The mining industry, they, they get such flack for ESG and all this stuff, but they've been doing it before everyone else. And, you know, I worked at IM Gold. They did so much for the community, so much for these different charities, so much for the people, the great companies to work for. And um, really, all these guys that work for these companies, they, they all come up through the mining industry. And if you work in these mines, um, you know, you got to be a people person. And like any leader for that ma- that for that matter, unless you're the founder company of the founder of the company, you got to be a people person. So a lot of these CEOs, they're really gregarious guys. I can name a lot of stories about different people. I, I think a good story to talk about um, is Mark Bristow. If you look at Mark in the news, he, he runs Barrick. I would say probably between him and Friedland. Robert Freeland, they're probably the two biggest names in the mining industry. They're very gregarious, good public speakers. Um, but people are always afraid of the guys at top, the king, so to speak, and they're afraid to go near them, talk to them, et cetera. Uh, we, we run something called Young Mining Professionals of Toronto. We have a huge scholarship fund. We do awards. Barrick's been behind us every step of the way. And uh, Mark actually came and spoke at an event of ours. Uh, two months ago down in Toronto. Um, yeah, so the funny story about that is, you know, some of his people that work for him, you know, they're always trying to make sure Mark's happy and they're they're kind of edging around and making sure everything's perfect for Mark. You know, he wants to eat this certain food. He wants to be sort of seen at this certain place. Uh, so everyone's kind of at pins and needles because no one had met Mark. They've, they've heard all these stories, you know, scary guy, et cetera. He showed up. We've had many events, Rob. These CEOs show up maybe 20 minutes before the dinner starts and they leave almost before dessert. Mark was the very first person to arrive at the dinner. He talked to all the different students, all the people. He looked you at the eyes. He felt like one of the people, like he was down there. Uh, and I would go to war with that guy. Um, he didn't care what he drank. We just drank some J-Lore. He was fine with it, even though we had special wine for him. The one thing he did tell me, Rob, 
He goes, I want to play at every single table because I want to sit with every single people that's coming to watch me speak. And he got up. He spoke to everybody. We put students at his main table. And uh, he was actually one of the last ones to leave. It was one of the latest events we had. I think we left at 1130 because Mark was staying there and chatting with everyone so much. And that meant so much to us. And one of the reasons why I go for, to war with Mark, uh, and which I think is Barrick's one of the best mining companies to invest in, you want to go where the great leaders are. He's super competitive. He got a great deal on that Newmont deal. He's out there. And you know he's making sure his mines are humming. But it's not just the mines. He cares about every facet of his business. And I told Mark, I go, listen, you're going to have two of the best students in all of Canada sitting at your table. I go, this one guy is going to another mining company. I think it'd be great for Barrick. And I go, this other guy doesn't have a job yet. He has perfect GPA across the board. I've been doing these scholarships for, for five years. I've never seen grades like this. And he's a good guy. Uh, so Mark emailed me the next day. And he goes, send me the resumes of those guys you're talking about. So I emailed the, the individuals and said, said, guys, give me an updated resume. I sent it to Mark. Rob, I'm not joking you. I got a text from one of these students. He's sitting at Queens. He said, you wouldn't believe who just called me. I go, who? He goes, Mark Bristow just called my cell phone. I'm now going to Barrick. I'm not going to this other mining company. And that kind of shows you what kind of guy he is. Super competitive. He wants him to work for Barrick, but he also goes out of, way, out of his way and he talks to these students. And, you know, just to tell one more story about Mark, I was, I was the MC of the event and a really funny story about Mark. And I tell a lot of people this, um, and I'll tell you how the story ended, but um, we, I think we were trying to get scholarship money from Mark uh, when they first joined our scholarship and I knew he was going to be in London. So I was at the Northern Miner exhibit and I went down after Mark finished speaking. I got right in his face. Like, I'm not afraid of anybody. I got right in Mark's face and I probably scared him a little bit. And I said, Mark, like we're, we're looking for scholarship money, et cetera. And he said to me, yes, right on the spot, Rob. He says, we believe in the students. High tide raises all ships. Um, of course, we'll donate to your scholarship. And I said, this is great. I brought my wife. This is before we had kids on the trip to London for the work event. And uh, I had a day off and uh, I was going to hang out with my wife. And instead, what I did is I went to look for a gift for Mark because I wanted Mark to remember me. I want to make sure he remembered that he's going to give money to the scholarship. And I knew Mark liked hunting and I found these really great scotch glasses. And the scotch glasses, Rob, had a little bullet right in the middle of them. And I said, I'm going to give these to Mark. He had an office in London. And I said, you know what, Tony, this isn't quite enough for Mark. You know, Mark did this for you. Make it extra special. He probably already has these glasses. So I went down to Bond Street, the old silver district where they do all the engraving. And I tried to get someone to engrave his name in this bullet. So I wanted gold because gold is what they produce. And gold is the ticker of Barrick. But I also want his last name, Bristol. Took about two and a half hours. My wife was really upset with me because uh, I was missing date night or something. It was a really hot day. I remember sweating. I couldn't find a place to engrave these bullets because it was such a small bullet. And one of my last stops is going to go to Rob. And it's a long story, but trust me, it's worth it at the end. I went down to the bottom of some store. And it was this old school store. And this old guy, looked like he's from a fairy tale, 85 years old. And this other guy walked in and opened the door for me. And he had a wooden leg. I remember this. And Chelsea just won the Champions League. And uh, Chelsea kind of tattooed on his wooden leg. And I go, I showed him the things. I go, can you guys engrave on this? And they had the old school engraver that no one has. So he engraved Mark and they engraved Bristow and gold on these, on these glasses. Anyways, I dropped him off at his office, gave him to his EA. And at this time, Mark was answering my emails. I even gave me a cell to text him. Rob, I never heard from I never heard from Mark after this until I saw him at the YMP event. And I was like, what happened? Like he gave the scholarship. He's not answering my emails. I go, what did I say to insult him? And I was talking to uh, another lawyer in the mining industry telling her the story. 
And she goes, Tony, you did what? I go, yeah, I gave him the, his name on, on the bullet, everything else. He goes, Rob, he goes, she goes to me. She goes, that's what the KGB do when they're trying to murder someone. <laughs> so essentially I scared this guy off. So then I'm at the, I'm at the young mining event and I had this story and my chairman and the head of Northern Miner that told him the story before they go, you got to tell the story to Mark. I go, I don't want to insult him. He's a really nice guy. He came. I don't want to say this in front of everyone. He goes, he's a really, he's a really good sport. You should tell it to the whole group. So I told the whole story to everyone. Everyone was dying laughing. And what Mark said is he said, I just had a really bad EA. I never even saw it. So he never <laughs> even got in the first place. So all this time I told the story. Um, he wasn't even afraid of me. He just didn't write me back. because Probably I was bothering him, but uh, it kind of shows you kind of, the kind of guy he is, got a good sense of humor. He cares about the kids. I go to war with them. Barrick's a great company. They got a great future ahead of them, and they got a great leader. Yeah, I mean that's a great that's a great story. Well, a couple of stories there, and obviously mining does get a bad image, and I suppose that's people outside of the mining industry that that don't obviously don't know what mining is. So, how can the mining industry improve their image? What can they do better? Uh, you know, the mining industry I mentioned earlier, they, they've been doing ESG and looking at the communities and doing great things for the world because they had to um, for a lot longer than anyone else. But, um, you know, they don't really show off all the work they do. They, they spend millions of dollars on ESG, and I don't think they spread the word or do it together enough. So, you know, they get a bad rep. So I think it's just a better job of just communicating to the world what they do. And I think, you know, this day of age, who are the people that are complain? People that say that mining companies aren't great. They're they're uninformed youth. And what do uninformed youth do? They're on TikTok. They're on Instagram. I always thought, look, a picture tells a thousand words. And one thing the mining industry is great about is pictures. And they have really great things at site, et cetera. They should almost just have one central Instagram or TikTok that just shows all the different companies together daily or weekly. And the great things that they do all over the world for people, communities, et cetera. Uh, look, Kabali, which is another barrack mine in the Congo, like they have a great, they have a great egg farm there. I know I am gold is great, great things down in Suriname. I think it's just about showing the people what you do. Everyone has an iPhone. Everyone lives in a house is probably made of steel. Most people have cars. So like, I don't know, you need steel, you need silver, you need a lot of these products in order to do your day to day life. So you know, I was in I was in Australia and they had guys throwing eggs at people at one of these mining events. And one thing I was with, I was with someone, they did something really funny. They asked one of the picketers, they go, Do you know what time it is? And the guy pulled out an iPhone and he goes, Do you know you have to mine everything in order to have that iPhone? So I just think people are a little bit uninformed. And even when it comes to the coal stuff with with tech and all these companies have to get rid of their coal, like I, I don't understand that really. You know, it's one thing's thermal coal and powering your your electricity with thermal, but you need met coal. You need met coal in order to produce steel. 70% of the whole world's steels produced because of uh, met coal, coking coal. And, and without steel, you wouldn't have all those things I talked about before in terms of buildings, trucks, uh, et cetera. You know, 30% of the world's coal, sorry, steel is made from, um, is made from recycling, but you need coal. Without coal, you don't have steel. So, you know, what are we doing getting rid of that? You know, are you just trying to go move it to China and Indonesia and stuff where they don't care about the environment? I don't think having tech and other companies in North America produce met coal is such a bad thing. It produces a lot of cash. It helps give back to the communities and helps support the other projects they have for copper, et cetera, and some of these strategic metals. So, 
um, you know, look, I think a lot of investors are are kind of uninformed. And following on from that, what are your thoughts around Glen Glencore buying uh, or buying tech or going to buy tech? I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's going to happen between Glencore and Tech. Um, look, I think the Kievel family has a, a controlling interest in Tech. For them, they're already rich. It's not about dollars and cents. It's a, it, you know, obviously it is, and that comes eventually. But you know, it's about the culture. It's about what they've built as a legacy. And you know, big part of Vancouver is built on Tech. You know, big part of BC. There's so many jobs, etc. Also, like as a junior mining company, that has got money from Tech. Like, man, that helped us out a lot. It helps the exploration industry. Uh, to grow, it, it gives us our mind that gives the mining the mining industry their minor league uh, system, so to speak, in order to grow. And look, Glencore, I believe, has different culture. They're in Switzerland. Uh, they're a different area. I'm not sure if they keep the head office in Vancouver. I'm also not sure how great their exploration is. You know, from what I can tell, a lot of their money comes from their trading. So they like to take on assets that are already built. Uh, those assets, you know those assets produce the the money and then what they do and why they make so much money, Rob, if you look at them, they had like a four or five PE last year. One of the reasons why they make so much money is because they're trading. So they leverage the metals they produce and they do a trading and they get more margin uh, per ounce or, or ton produced than any other company in the world. So I think they're just going to pillage and village and, and leave. And I think tech's about more than just that. So I can't say tech's not going to be bought by a different company. I just don't see the, the Glencore in tech marriage happening. But again, I have no inside insight on that. I don't want to bite the hand that, that feeds me. I think tech's probably the best mining company in the world when it comes to sustainability, culture, et cetera. And look no further. Look up a guy or girl that works at tech. Look at their LinkedIn. Look how many companies they've worked at before. Look how long they've worked at tech, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So um, I just think it's absolutely insane that people stay at companies that long, which kind of speaks levels about how great their culture is, how great their people it is. Um, and if you have people that like working for companies, um, those people will back each other up. You'll have a lot more effective, efficient people, and you will make a lot more money. So I think company culture starts and then success falls and money falls that. So I think just give tech some time. I think they're a great company. Let them be. Talking about obviously mergers, um, what are your thoughts on uh, the New Crescent Newmont merger? Yeah, look, uh, there's a lot of different thought processes on it. You know, Newcrest many years ago got spun out of Newmont. I don't know if people know that. Um, but if you look at that, you know, investing in mid-tier mid-tier companies, it's tough because you're essentially investing in a construction company. And in construction, especially with COVID and inflation, there's a lot of downsides. So there's a lot of beta there. There's a lot of chance for you to get hurt your investment. So what you want to do, if you believe in gold, there's really three ways to invest, I think, at least if you're not looking for something risky. You invest in a, a major mining company, a company that's going to give you dividends, or you invest in an ETF, sorry, or you invest in physical gold. Physical gold gives you no yield. Uh, and I think the best thing to do is really invest in an EFT. But what Newcrest and Numeron merger is doing, they're essentially creating, sorry, they're essentially creating an ETF that gives you a yield, call it two, two and a half percent yields. Now, instead of investing in ETF, that doesn't really give you a yield. You're investing in Numeron, Newcrest actually gives you a yield back, which it, which makes it a lot more attractive for investors and for funds. And while I don't think that they will get the bump from the growth, because I, I don't even know how many ounces of gold they're going to produce a year, Rob, call it 7 million ounces of gold a year. 
to get a 10% bump in their production, they got to produce an extra 700,000 ounces of gold a year. Where do you get that from? So how do you get the increase your stock for your shareholders? And how you do that is increase the demand for your stock. And all of a sudden, a lot of those funds, they get away from investing in Barrick, Angle Gold, Goldfields, even the ETFs. And all of a sudden, they put their money in this new Newmont, Newcrest Co. that's giving you a yield. And also, because of the demand in the stock, you'll see an increase in the price of the stock. So I think that's a good thing for investors. You know, if I'm going to invest in something, I probably would now invest in Newmont, Newmont Newcrest, or even a Barrick. I would leave it alone a lot of those mid-tiers that have a lot of those that inherent risk, a lot of that construction risk. Um, but a lot of things, one thing that a lot of people aren't really talking about as well in terms of that merger, they look at adding those new ounces, but you got to look at, there's a lot of copper that Newcrest produces. But the biggest thing, Rob, this world is getting tougher and tougher to permit open pit mines, uh, especially with the footprint and the tailings and everything else. So how do you get a lot of tonnage and a lot of ounces or pounds out of a mine without doing open pit? Well, you got to do it underground. And what technology is that? That's block cave mining, essentially having, you know, bulk tonnage, but underground. And who's the best bulk tonnage on, you know, bulk tonnage miner, block cave miner in the world? It's Newcrest. Uh, their, their mines in Australia, their mine in, in Papua New Guinea, those are block cave mines. And I believe that they have a special IP technology that no other companies have. So obviously I think Newmont wanted to acquire the ounces, but I think one thing that they wanted to acquire was that technology that Newcrest has IP on in order to extract value from a lot of you know, the deposits that they have. And if you look at Newcrest and Newmont right now and look at the Golden Triangle, well, gosh, if I was a if I was an exploration company in the Golden Triangle, I'd be a little bit worried because you know their end game, like I mentioned earlier, for us is for a liquidity event, someone take them out. Now, Newcrest and Newmont essentially have cornered the Golden Triangle area with all these different deposits, and there's a lot less competition for people to take out those smaller companies like Brixton, etc. So, I think there's a lot of reasons why I think that merger makes sense for growth, access to technology. Also, the fact I think they'll be one of the most attractive companies for funds to invest in, which I believe will create a lot of upwards movement in their stock. Uh, I know you've been uh, living at Mindsight for for a year now, um, and you seem to be a good storyteller. So I just wondered if you had any uh, good stories uh, about the experiences that you've had over the past year. Yeah, so I, I, I lived in uh, Suriname for a year. So when I started at I Am Gold, I went ass backwards into that industry. I got my CFA. I was looking to get a job either in banking or mining. And uh, my uncle, who I spoke about, he said to me, Tony, he said, get into mining. He said, it's a fun industry. You can travel the world. You work with awesome people. And he goes, it never feels like a job because you're always putting out fires. It's kind of stressful, but you're always working on something. You're always problem solving. And even now, Rob, I, I told my father-in-law, uh, I don't really work much. And my wife got really mad at me because she said, Tony, you work all the time. It just doesn't feel like work because it's such an amazing industry. Anyways, my uncle kind of told me all that stuff. So I said, listen, I'll, I'll get into mining. I got into mining at I Am Gold. That's another you know, long story I can tell on another podcast, which is really funny. But after a year of working, I did some work in IR, uh, et cetera, uh, at IM Gold, just analyst jobs. And, you know, the guy that took me under his wing was a CEO named Steve Letwin. And, you know, one of the reasons I think I'm okay at public speaking is because Steve was so good at public speaking. And he says, you know, the one thing to set you apart from everything else is just to be a good public speaker. You think people are scared of heights or spiders or afraid of speaking even more. 
But he says, besides speaking, which you can always work on, he goes, if you ever want to make your way up in this industry, you got to go to site. He says the best foot. He says the best fertilizer is the footsteps of the farmer. And unless you go to site, you won't understand anything about mining. And I didn't know anything about mining, Rob. And he goes, you got to go to Suriname. I thought Suriname was in Africa, for gosh sakes. How <laughs> dumb did I feel? And he sent me to Suriname. And uh, I remember reading this pamphlet before I was going to go. And it's funny because they have this pamphlet for the Rosebell Gold Mine. And it's really cool. There's like 2,000 people live there. And they had a section um, about, you know, all the facilities they have. They have a big gym there. They have a soccer field there. And when you live at a site that big, what you got to realize is that it's like living at a summer camp. Like they got food there, they got a bar, they got like real life experiences, they got they got romance, um, you know, and instead of actually going to camp and playing sports for the day, you do a great job you love, but you hang out with people you love afterwards as well. And you live in like these little boardrooms and they're fun. Anyways, this, this manual told me about all this stuff, but one of the things they told me about, and I love animals, I love National Geographic, all the animal section. So... In the animal section, they're like, you know, they have these pumas out at the at the site and these cougars. And one thing they said was uh, they have these little things called, um, I think they're called arrow frogs, small little green frogs. And they said they're one of the most poisonous creatures in the world. If you step out, you can die. That's how much poison there is. The very next chapter, Rob, right after these things about the arrow frogs, they talked about how there's a nice outdoor area where you can run around the track. It's about 10 kilometers going in the jungle. I said, if there's these cougars and arrow frogs, I'm never going to be running out there. So I thought that was pretty ironic to have those two sections together. Anyways, I got flown out to Suriname and I remember landing there and you have to fly through Miami. Then you got to fly through Trinidad and your third flight goes into a place called Paramaribo in, in, in Suriname. And I land there and you get in at two 30 in the morning and I had no clue where I was, Rob. And I was about 26 years old and I was pretty scared. And I remember getting there and uh, it was the first time I ever really saw a gun. I got picked up by two guys. I was the only one put in the van. The guy in the front had a gun. The other person was driving. And I'm driving in the middle of the jungle. And I was kind of scared. And um, the one thing that actually made me feel okay, and I was just reminiscing this the other day, they had a big billboard of Rhiannon the singer uh, in the forest. And I was like, okay, I kind of felt like I was like out in the middle of like nowhere, but I kind of felt I was close to home seeing Rhiannon there for, for whatever reason. And uh I got into Paramarie, so the Roosevelt camp at about four in the morning. They had opened the doors at Sodexo for the camp for me. They gave me their keys and they said, you got to walk that way. And they pointed up the hill and there's about 50 different barracks, long houses where all the people sleep at. And I was sleeping near the very top of the hill. And I remember getting out of the Sodexo office and walking out. It was complete dark out. And I remember walking and all these bullfrogs were all around me. And it was almost like I was playing hopscotch just trying to get around these bullfrogs to get to my room. And um, that was kind of the beginning of the experience. I spent a year there. I made a lot of friends. Um, it was just an unbelievable experience. One thing I learned, Rob, too, is like, you just think of mining. You just think you're producing gold. Um, that A mine is a giant machine. And, uh, you know, a mine's like an army. It, it marches on its stomach. And you really start to really appreciate Every single person that works there. There are people that just cut down trees just to make, you know, roads, just to have access to mines. The people that worked at the Zexo kitchen, the people that work at the kitchen, they're so important. If they go and strike, that mine is closed. 
Uh, so, you know, they're very important. Also drilling, people think about drilling, they only think about the exploration drilling, but you also have to do drilling before you produce because you have an idea of where the gold is. But then instead of doing, you know, 800 meter drill holes, you do you do six meter drill holes. So you got to figure out where on that pad the goal, the drilling is. So what part you have to bring to waste, what part you have to bring to the mill. So the, all those little things, you know, another thing too, is just picking up the gold. Now, if I ever watch a, a, a movie about, you know, stealing gold from a, from a, you know, a bank vault or something. One thing that drives me crazy, if people are picking up that gold and they're throwing it to someone, well, you got to realize is gold is about 19 times heavier than water. So, you know, the average person can't even hold a brick of gold. And they always say uh, at the Rosebud Gold Mine, if you can pick up this brick of gold with one hand, you can have it. And, and it doesn't even come close. So those are all little small things that I learned. Um, yeah, it was just an absolutely, absolutely amazing experience. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It really kind of helped me understand the mining industry but also kind of really appreciate every little person uh that works there so um as well like health and safety you, you start to realize why everyone takes health and safety so seriously because it is so easily to die easy to die at a mine site and there are a lot of deaths that happen so um, when people say health and safety is the most important thing like it really is because it's extremely dangerous there and there are very little fatalities at Roosevelt, which kind of speaks volumes to how great the health and safety is that i am gold yeah, I appreciate those uh, those stories. Um, you're uh, obviously investor in the uh, junior mining space. So what do you think investors should be looking out for um, in terms of when they're looking to invest in a in a company? Cash, cash, cash. How much cash do you have? Uh, I always think it's good to at least have two years of cash. Do you have enough cash to cover your current program? And do you have enough cash to at least cover a bit of your program and your drilling for in your GNA for you know the next two years? So that's the first thing I look at. If you got no cash, you can't do anything. You know, my number one job, I, I realize it's it's to look after the company first. Make sure your balance sheet is strong. You're looking after your company. So that's the number one important thing. You can have a great asset, but if you have no cash, you can't do anything with it. And a lot of times companies, you know, big or small, leave themselves in very precarious positions uh, where they don't have enough cash. They can't carry up their operations. They got to sell assets, et cetera. So the one thing I'd always look at is cash and how much how much of a burn rate you have. And I'm quite happy to know that we have at least two years of burn rate. One year, at least a full exploration. Another year to bring us all the way through the end of 2024. So that's the first thing to look at. Again, I look at the US dollar thing. That's a small thing, but you know, if you look after your nickels, uh, the pennies, the nickels look after themselves and it shows you a bit about the culture and, and how that management team is. So I don't ever want to see a Canadian or US sorry, Australian company ever pay themselves with US dollars because I think they're always kind of doing a little bit of a bait and switch when they're doing that. Um, you know, another thing that I look at I always, I, you know, for me, it's so tough to find a deposit. It's like a one 5,000 chance. Um, I don't want to lose that deposit because I'm in a risky jurisdiction. For me as an investor, I'll only invest in Australia or Canada, Western world, um, because quite frankly, there's not a lot of mines in Europe. And I don't really want to lose, you know, that mine if it's in a jurisdiction in Africa or South America. I'm not saying I don't like those places, but I find the jurisdictions, uh, the governments are really tough. They can take a mine at any time. So if I'm going to spend five years and, you know, 50 to $100 million to come up with a deposit, I sure as heck don't want a government to take it away. Um, obviously, we spoke about mining as a brand and outside of the mining industry, uh, the brand of mining isn't great. What would you say the biggest misconception uh, people have about the mining industry? People just don't want to know how their sausage is made, you know? Um, 
everyone, you need mining unless you're living, you know, unless you're living underneath the tree in the middle of the forest and, and foraging your food day to day, like you need mining, you need agriculture, uh, you need mining. So, you know, it's not about not mining. It's about doing it in the most sustainable way. And what kind of upsets me too, is you got a lot of lobbyists that are against mining in Canada, you know, mining in Australia, mining, in, you know, in the USA, but you know, the US, the US, the Canada, a lot of these Western companies, um, you know, they want, they want electrification. Well, if you need electrification, you need copper, you need lithium, you need steel. Where's that steel getting made? It's making coke and coal, like I mentioned. And where is that getting produced? Um, you know, I don't want to say the same story over and over again, but, you know, I just got approached by Greenpeace and they wanted us to protect the tigers in Indonesia. And I love the tigers in Indonesia. I've never met one, but I'm sure they're great. And I'm all about protecting them. But at the same time, we want to, you know, get rid of our mining industry in, in some of these countries or not get rid of it, but, you know, not have some of the mines get built, etc. But where's this copper? Where's this steel? Where's this coal? Where's this nickel going to get produced? Well, again, it's like the sausage industry. People want it to be produced away from them. They don't want to think about where it's produced. So they want it produced in Indonesian jungle, where those tigers are, by the way, that I had to donate to, or they want it produced in China. They want it produced in Russia, kind of, you know, out of their realms. They don't see it, turn a, turn a blind eye on it. Uh, but those places, I'm telling you right now, they don't care about sustainability. They don't care about the environment nearly as much as Canada, nearly about much as, as much as the Western companies do. Um, so, you know, I always think we have one roof here. We have one world. We have one ecosystem. If you have a mine, you're going to build some mines, build in a sustainable way, but keep them in Canada, keep the jobs here, keep the money here and make sure when the coal is produced, when the copper is produced, it's done in a very sustainable way. Canada gets a bad rep because it takes a lot longer to get a permit, but guess what? It may take three or four years longer to get a permit or to build that mine, but they're doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it to you know mine as sustainably as possible. And guess what? Once that company has that mine mining, it's going to mine for a very long time till the end of life. So I think people just have to stop reading titles and, and you know, head, headlines and just start really understanding, you know, the crux of mining, where you're producing instead of Canada, because guess what? You need that mining. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of the misconception. And that's partly to lie on the mining industry. Like I mentioned earlier, they don't do a good enough job talking about what they do. Look at the celebrities. Look at these basketball players. They go and give to like hospitals and stuff. They bring a big camera crew with them. Everyone on Twitter, all the 30 million Instagram followers, they know that they they give to these hospitals. And I'm happy they give to these hospitals. I'm happy they show people they invest in these hospitals because you know what? If an NBA basketball player invests in these hospitals, then other people will too. But I think the mining company's got to take a bit of a page out of a lot of these Instagram influencers. And when they go and give to people and hospitals and communities and build farms and, and schools, et cetera, they should bring cameras everywhere they go and they got to show people. And not just about showing people. These guys will have Twitter fault. They don't have nearly as many Twitter followers a lot, as a lot of these influencers. So what, you know, the IM Golds, the Barracks, the Ken Rosses, you know, the techs everywhere they got to find a way to have distribution to show the world the great job that they're doing in the mining industry and the world because if everyone starts to understand what they're doing i think people will you know lobby a little bit less against miners yeah i couldn't agree more there in what you said there especially uh especially yeah these influencers maybe the mining industry needs to employ a few uh for obviously people outside of the mining industry to basically tell the non-mining people a little bit more about the industry and what 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 benefit is need what why is mining needed for a start 
and the good things that uh, the mining industry does for local communities, i.e. build schools, build hospitals, because no one knows that. No one knows that outside of mining. It's uh, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely amazing um, all the stuff that I've seen that the mining industry uh, has done. So um, yeah, I love it. And lastly, um, what's the outlook for American Eagle Gold for the remainder of the year going into next year? Blue sky, blue sky, blue sky, Rob. No financing ahead of us. Just drilling ahead of us. Uh, hopefully copper has a little bit of rebound and get some headwinds that way. Uh, but we'll be drilling starting in a couple weeks. Today's, you know, close to the end of May. We're looking to put the drills in the ground around June 10th. So from June 10th until, you know, minimum June, July, August, September, June, July, August, September, you know, till the end of September, we're going to be drilling. So, you know, we have at least four months of drilling, which means we have another five months of assays to come out and every hole could be that billion dollar hole. Um, we've got a really great team in a great jurisdiction. We have guys running our program that have found deposits before they know what to do. We have a great company in tech that believes in us, that showed the world that they gave us money when they didn't have to, that believe in our property, believe in our people. So we got a lot of upside. Um, I just say, follow the story, tell your friends about it. And just do your research. I'm not saying, you know, put all your money in a junior mining company, but, you know, there's a certain amount of money. I think a certain risk portfolio should put in junior miners. We just want to be that small part of your portfolio. I'm fighting over the 5% um, that you're hopefully putting in those risk portfolios. Because what I want to do with investors is get them the 10, 20, 100X. And if you do that, it makes up for all the other losses you make in your portfolio and the S&P, et cetera. So follow American Eagle. We have a lot of drilling. A lot of news coming up in the near future. Yeah. Tony, really appreciate your time uh, in obviously telling us a little about uh, obviously American Eagle and also some of the, obviously the stories that you uh, that you've encountered during your during your career. Um, really enjoyed that and it was um and hopefully the audience enjoyed those stories as well. So um it'd be great if you can come back on later on in the year and the uh, to come on the podcast and obviously you can be might be able to give us those brilliant drill results uh, later on this year. So, yeah, we'd like you to obviously come back on and share some more stories and obviously uh, tell us, uh, give us those results. Well, Rob, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, remind me to tell you the Starbucks story uh, next time is how I got into the mining industry. But, uh, look, I really appreciate your time. You're a great, great interviewer. Um, you know, you got a great headhunting consulting business going on. I just want everyone to know, just – read up a better company it's american eagle ae on tsx venture please follow us we've got a lot of news and thank you very much for you know listening to me speak about the company and some of the stories i have yeah and we include those all in the show notes as well uh so for easy access for people to uh to reach out to you and have any if they've got any questions obviously they can uh they can ask you so all the best for, for the remainder of the year thanks rob no worries. And those that are listening, I hope you enjoyed the episode. That, this episode definitely needs to be shared. Obviously, uh, Tony gave some uh, examples of stories that he's that he's experienced in the mining industry. So for people that are not in the mining industry, they need to listen to this because whatever, in, in, whatever impression they have of the mining industry, Tony's flipped on, on its head and gave a completely different uh image of what the mining industry is and some of the um some of the things that he's been up to and the excitement as you can see he's passionate about what he does um and obviously the stories 
um, speak for themselves. So please share this episode to obviously people within the mining industry, but more importantly, people outside of the mining industry. And um, so they can understand what mining is, what a great industry it is, and even whatever they're doing, maybe consider an opportunity in the mining industry. So um, appreciate your continued support. Please keep sharing these episodes. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.